Nolan Hickman is nine games into his career as Gonzaga's starting point guard, and his production so far is pretty similar in a lot of ways to Gonzaga's recent starters at the point guard position, a very good sign of things to come. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates on another season of Gonzaga Hoops. Today's episode of Locked On Zags is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates that you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash college. That is linkedin.com slash college to post your job for free terms and conditions apply. All right, we are talking Nolan Hickman here in the first segment. Hickman is through his first nine games as the starting point guard for the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Of course, he is in his second season in Spokane after playing a kind of off-guard backup point guard role for the Zags last year. Hickman has obviously been the source of a lot of conversation amongst the Gonzaga fan base, some frustration that has been directed at him for some of Gonzaga's issues that may be in part, he may be a contributor to some of those issues, but not necessarily uh, the primary culprit. Uh, Obviously, Gonzaga has played a very, very challenging non-conference schedule so far, but when looking ahead at Gonzaga's future this season, the highs and the lows, the, the best case scenarios, the worst case scenarios for this team, it really is going to be directed a lot by what Hickman can do, the improvements he can make, the, stu- the just the ability to more efficiently, more effectively run the offense. But uh, we've also seen a tendency for Gonzaga point guards in general, and specific- specifically Hickman, to kind of draw the ire of the fan base in situations where maybe it's not necessarily entirely deserved. And I think uh, I've kind of hammered home the point on this podcast, I know many others have as well about how how difficult Gonzaga's non-conference schedule has been and how many other players who who maybe haven't struggled as much early in their careers perhaps had the advantage of playing more of those bye games. Gonzaga has only played two home games this season, which is just ridiculous. Uh, so many other players got so many more opportunities to play in front of the home crowd uh, early in their career, at least as a starter. Again, I know we're not early in Nolan Hickman's career necessarily. He's had a full year under his belt, but uh, there is a transition to becoming Gonzaga's official starting point guard. Uh, and I, that's kind of what I wanted to talk about here in this first segment. We took a look back at five other Gonzaga point guards, or excuse me, four other Gonzaga point guards in addition to Nolan Hickman, took a look at their first nine games as starting point guards for the Gonzaga Bulldogs. So again, I did not count Andrew Nampard's time in his first season at Gonzaga because I didn't consider him the starting point guard. He was kind of playing off the ball there. So we have Nembhard's numbers. We have Jalen Suggs's numbers. We have Ryan Woolridge's numbers from his first and only season in Spokane. And then I went all the way back to the 2015-16 season as that was the first year that Josh Perkins was the starting point guard. He played five games the year before that before getting kicked in the jaw and having his freshman season erased and redshirted. Uh, So we started the next year at his first nine games as well. Uh, The other stat that I pulled here, and I want to just put this caveat out there because it is a very important part of this conversation, is the strength of schedule numbers using teamrankings.com. Uh, to take a look at where Gonzaga's strength of schedule was through those first nine games of the season, uh, as well as where it ranked nationally amongst other teams. So we'll start with Hickman. Hickman's first nine games of the season, Gonzaga's strength of schedule number is 13.4. That is first 
in the entire country, most difficult non-conference strength strength of schedule right now for the Zags through these nine games. Nolan Hickman is averaging 8.4 points, four assists, 3.1 rebounds. He is shooting 38.6% from the field, 36.8% from three, and he is averaging two turnovers per game. That is where we are with Nolan Hickman. Looking back, Andrew Nemhard during last season, his first nine games, which goes up through that Tarleton State game just before, excuse me, through the Alabama game for the Zags. Nemhard averaged 8.7 points, 5.2 assists, 3.1 rebounds, shot 44% from the field, 28.1% from three, and then averaged 2.7 turnovers per game. So just about three-fourths more turnovers per game uh, through those first nine games. Next up, Jalen Suggs. <laughs> Jalen Suggs is just an absolute freak. We knew that. We know that. He, his numbers are ridiculous through his first nine games. Uh, excuse me, for Nembhard, I should say his strength of schedule was 11, so lower than the one against, than, than uh, excuse me, than Hickman's strength of schedule has been so far. Nembhard's was he, Gonzago had the third hardest strength of schedule at that time in the season for Suggs. Their strength of schedule is 12.3. So very close to what Hickman's was. And you can remember Gonzaga played some really good teams early in that season. They played Kansas. They played Virginia. They played Iowa early in that season. Suggs had the third hardest strength of schedule through his first nine games. He averaged 14.3 points, 5.3 assists, 5.3 rebounds, shot 54% from the field, 43% from three, and also averaged 2.7 turnovers per game. Next up, Ryan Woolridge. Woolridge's numbers look a little bit better than Hickman's as well, but is worth pointing out that Gonzaga's strength of schedule metric at that point was just four, which ranked 45th in the country through the first nine games. Ryan Rollage didn't have a ton of challenges early in his career. First nine games for him, they played North Dakota. They played Arc Pine Bluff. They played UT Arlington, Southern Miss. They played Alabama State. Now they did play AM, They did play Oregon. They did play Michigan. So Woolridge does get those games kind of counted in this nine-game stretch. He averaged nine points, four assists, five rebounds, 47% from the field, 56% from three through those first nine games. He got off to a scorchingly hot start to his Gonzaga career, and he averaged two turnovers per game. Finally, rounding it out, talking Josh Perkins. Strength of schedule was 7.1, so a little over half as difficult of a non-conference strength of schedule through those first nine games as the one that Hickman has faced. That was 18th in the country. Perkins averaged 9.8 points, three assists, four rebounds, shot 42% from the field, 31% from deep and averaged 3.3 turnovers per game. Now, I know you're not all writing that down. You don't have all of that memorized. So just to give a quick recap here on where Nolan Hickman ranked among these categories, it shouldn't be shocking. It's you know, this isn't some big gotcha where it turns out Nolan Hickman's actually the best of Gonzaga's five most recent point guards to the first nine games. He is not Uh, in points per game. His 8.4 points is fifth out of five. Very close again. Woolridge and Perkins were just over nine. Nemhard was just under nine. Suggs, the outlier, at about 14. For assists, Hickman is tied for fourth with four assists per game. Everybody was pretty close there. Perkins was quite a bit lower. Everybody else was around four or five. Boards, Hickman is tied for last in that group as well. We're not really evaluating Nolan Hickman based on his rebounding, so it's not an overly important number there. Uh, The worst one, the biggest kind of, I guess, offender, out of this group for Nolan Hickman so far is field goal percentage. And this is a significant area of growth for Nolan Hickman. He's shooting 38.6% from the field. 
That is quite a bit less than everybody else on this list. Next less, next worst, I should say, is Perkins at 42.1%. Suggs was over 50%. Woolridge was over 47%. Nembhard was right around 45%. Hickman's ability to finish around the rim, finish in the mid-range, score more effectively on non-three-point shots is a significant area of growth that is necessary. Again, the strength of schedule absolutely plays a, plays a role here, a significant role, but it is still notable. Three-point percentage, Hickman is third out of this group, a fantastic number for him. Woolridge and Suggs are the top two guys. Suggs, of course, kind of fell off as the season went along. Uh, Hickman was better than Nemhard, who was only 28% through his first nine games last year. Perkins was only 31%, so seeing Hickman kind of mature and be a better outside shooter at this point in his career is promising. And then the kicker, the big story here, in my mind at least, Hickman's first in turnovers. Tied for first, I should say, with Ryan Woolridge, who again, Woolridge played a significantly less challenging schedule early in his career. Ryan Woolridge, two turnovers per game. Nolan Hickman, two turnovers per game. Nemhard and Suggs were 2.7 turnovers per game. Perkins was over three turnovers per game. So we're comparing Nolan Hickman to Andrew Nemhard, Jalen Suggs, two bona fide, very legitimate NBA players. We'll talk a lot more about Andrew Nemhard here in the second segment of today's show, but regardless, that's your barometer. Those two guys, Woolridge, you know, not an NBA player necessarily, but had a much, much easier strength of schedule. Josh Perkins, an all-time zag, one of the greatest point guards in school history. Nolan Hickman's right there. He's right in the conversation with all of those guys. I think that's really noteworthy. I think the fact that he has been more efficient with the basketball, that his scoring and his assist numbers are pretty much on par despite playing a more challenging schedule than any of those guys. Yes, there's still work to be done, particularly scoring around the rim. Uh, but overall, I hope that these numbers give a little bit more context to what we've seen out of Nolan Hickman so far in his career and what maybe promising things are still to come for the young point guard as he adjusts to his new role, as he adjusts to his teammates around him, and as Gonzaga gets out of the really murderous, difficult part of their schedule into some more less challenging, I should say, games coming up down the pipeline. All right, Pacers rookie Andrew Nembhard is drawing tons and tons of praise after a pair of dominant performances last week, and that is great news for the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Before we get into that, though, let's talk about LinkedIn. Today's episode of Locked on Zags is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. These days, every new potential hire can feel like a high-stakes wager for your small business. You want to be 100% certain that you have access to the best qualified candidates available. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the right people to hire for your team faster and for free. It's extremely simple to use. Start by adding your job in the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you're hiring. Simple tools like screening questions make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on college. That's linkedin.com slash locked on college to post your job for free terms and conditions apply. All right, segment two, Stoney Patton still locked on Zags. I want to thank all of you for making Locked On Zags your first listen of the day. For your second listen today, check out the Locked On Sports Today podcast. From the games that matter the most to the biggest stories in sports, go beyond the scoreboard and behind the scenes with local experts and insights that only Locked On can provide. 
Locked On Sports Today, available on this app, YouTube, and wherever you get podcasts. All right, folks, we're talking Andrew Nembhard here in the second segment. Those of you who listened to Tuesday's episode, I closed the show talking a little bit about Nembhard and that ridiculous performance he had against Steph Curry and the Golden State Warriors. But the story today is just how well this performance has been received, not just on NBA Twitter, but by NBA analysts, draft analysts, pundits, whomever. Everybody seems to be discussing Andrew Nembhard right now. I want to talk about some of the praise that has been heaped on him for his solid start to his NBA career and also really kind of what this might potentially mean for Gonzaga. So Bill Simmons podcast, Zach Lowe, Ryan Rossillo talked a lot about Andrew Nembhard. Ryan Rossillo had a quote that I absolutely loved. He said, quote, I wish more people saw the Golden State game because it was perfect. And that is a fantastic way to describe it. 31 points, 13 assists, eight rebounds for Andrew Nemhard. Really tremendous. We're going to talk a little bit about some of the statistical accomplishments that we saw in that game and the company that he is in with some of those statistical accomplishments. Uh, first, wanted to shout out another quote from Rick Carlisle, the head coach of the Indiana Pacers. Of course, he's perhaps a little biased about Andrew Nemhard's performance, but he said straight up, and I'm quoting from an article written at USA Today's Rookie Wire. He said, he's a top top 10 player in the 2020 NBA draft redo. He said, I know Hoops Hype always does their NBA draft redos. He said, I some people had him top 15. I think he's top 10. He went on to say he is a really special player. Our basketball people, Kevin Pritchard, Chad Buchanan, Kelly Kruskoff, and Ted Wu just hit it out of the park with him. This guy has got amazing poise. He is strong. He is old school, but new school. He is special. And yeah, I think there's a very legitimate conversation at this point. Andrew Nemhard's averaging nine points, four assists through his first month or so, six weeks or so of NBA action. He's obviously seen his playing time tick up recently. There's been some injuries for Indiana. Chris Duarte has been out for the last month or so. Uh, Tyrese Halliburton was out against Golden State, part of the reason that Nemhard played 41 minutes in that game. But when you play 41 minutes against a team like Golden State and you put up that caliber of number, it's going to be hard to keep benching him. It's going to be hard for him to revert back to a bench role. Uh, these are the the expectations for Nembhard coming into the year. Even people who are more optimistic about what he could bring to this team, myself included, felt like, hey, he's going to be a quality role player. He could play 18 to 20 minutes per night, give you like effective minutes off the bench. He has been doing that, but he has also been doing much, much more. It has been incredible to see him mature into this role and kind of blossom as he has gotten into the NBA. A uh, couple other statistical accomplishments from that game, 30 points, 10 assists, five made threes as a rookie. Andrew Nembhard is now a part of that group. Here are the three other players. Again, 30 points, 10 assists, five made threes. The other people to do that, Jason Kidd, Steph Curry, Trey Young. That's it. That's your group right there. Those three guys and Andrew Nembhard have done that. I mentioned this on Tuesday's episode. I'll mention it again here. He is the seventh rookie to ever post a game with 31 or more points, 13 or more assists, eight or more rebounds. The other players to do that, Oscar Robertson, probably heard of him. Michael Jordan, definitely heard of him. Kevin Johnson, Stevie Franchise, a.k.a. Steve Francis from the Houston Rockets. And then, of course, our good friends, Steph Curry and Trey Young back on this list as well. Uh, and then another one, this is, again, kind of cherry picking some stats here to make this seem more impressive than it is. But you know what? We're going to read it anyway because it is very, very fun. Two players in NBA history have posted a game with 30 or more points, 12 or more assists, eight or more rebounds, five or more three-pointers made while also shooting 60% from the field. 
holy moly, that is a lot of caveats. But the only two people to ever do that, Andrew Nembhard against the Golden State Warriors, and in 2018, in his final season with the Cleveland Cavaliers, LeBron James. Really, really nice company to be in there, obviously, for all of these statistical accomplishments. Uh, a really, really nice start to the season for Andrew Nembhard. I also wanted to share this tweet from Brian Kalbrowski at USA Today, a former guest of the podcast, fantastic NBA draft and NBA writer analyst. He shared a graph that showed the numbers for two different players, player A and player B. Uh, Andrew Nembhard is, of course, player A, 10 points, 2.9 rebounds, 5.3 assists, his efficiency around the rim, his three-point efficiency, and his assist numbers. Player B, Davion Mitchell, who is three inches shorter, was five months older coming out of the draft, less points per game, less rebounds per game, less assists per game, almost exact same percentage of finishing around the rim. Nembhard was 62.5% at Gonzaga. Mitchell, 62.4% at Baylor. Mitchell was a better three-point shooter, 37 to 34%. Uh, but Nembhard had a significantly higher assist percentage, 28.4 compared to 23.7 for Mitchell. Uh, Nembhard also had a lower turnover percentage as well. I like this comparison. I like that Kalbrowski is trying to highlight, hey, look, Mitchell was the ninth overall pick in his draft. Nemhard was 31st. Clearly, he was underrated. He's a taller player. He was a younger player. He was a more effective player in college. The significant caveat here is that Mitchell was drafted primarily for his extremely good on-ball defense, something that isn't really represented in these statistics, something that Nemhard will almost certainly never be as effective of an on-ball defender as Mitchell, not because he's not good defensively, but because Davion Mitchell is very, very good on that end of the floor. Regardless, still notable that some of the criticisms of Nembhard were his size and his age, and we're talking about a player who was older and smaller who was drafted much higher where those concerns weren't necessarily brought to the forefront, kind of exposes some of the flaws in the way that we say we as in like everybody who evaluates NBA draft players kind of look at that talent. It seemed like Nembhard kind of slipped under the radar, didn't get as much of that attention as perhaps he should have. And he's making people pay for it right now with the way that he has been playing in the NBA. And the last thing I want to talk about is, is why this is great news for Gonzaga. I got some mailbag questions this week. Uh, we're not doing mailbag this week. I don't think we'll end up doing mailbag next week. As long as Gonzaga plays games on Monday, it kind of throws off the week to have the mailbag. So we'll return to them later in the month, perhaps. But one question that I've gotten is, is about kind of Gonzaga's future recruiting. And if if this team stumbles, you know, whether that could impact recruiting. I think that recruiting is not something that is so finicky that like one or two rough seasons completely curtail a team's recruiting. So I want to make that caveat real quick. But one thing that is also important about recruiting is how players do professionally. And Andrew Nemhard succeeding in the NBA is good for Gonzaga. It is good for their ability to recruit. It is good specifically for their ability to recruit guards. Gonzaga has succeeded massively at putting big men in the NBA. DeMontis Sabonis, Kelly Olenek, Brandon Clark, Rui Hachimura, Corey Kispert, who's kind of a wing four, whatever, Zach Collins. Like they, they have really succeeded at churning out high quality NBA talent in the front court. Their guards have been very good at Gonzaga for decades. There is a reason they were nicknamed Guard University. However, that success hasn't often translated over to the NBA. Dan Dickow, of course, had a very lengthy NBA career. That was 20 years ago. Since then, we've seen guys kind of flutter in and out of the NBA. 
Jeremy Pargo was briefly in the NBA. Kevin Pangos very briefly in the NBA. Uh, now, of course, Jalen Suggs and Andrew Nembhard are, are the two most recent guys in the NBA. Nigel Williams-Goss briefly in the NBA, but they haven't really stuck. Going forward, the best way to recruit high-level talent is to prove to those players we can put you in the NBA. And right now, young guards looking at Gonzaga may have hesitation about that, but not anymore. Jalen Suggs is off to a fantastic start when he is healthy. He has proven he is a dynamite guard at the NBA level. And now Andrew Nempard, you know, he transferred from Florida, so maybe this will help more with transfer guards. Maybe it'll help with with high school guards. I'm not sure. It could probably be a little bit of both. But for Gonzaga, we want to point to Andrew Nembhard and be like, look at this guy draining a three over Steph Curry. Look at this guy hitting a game winner over LeBron James in a span of a couple of days. And is that necessarily the 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 one thing that's going to sell recruits on Gonzaga? No, I would hope not. I assume that high schoolers or, or transfers aren't making their decisions based on stuff like that. Could it put them over the edge, though? Yes, absolutely. I think that it could. And so this is great news for Gonzaga. The fact that Nembhard is being talked about by every single NBA pundit, they're mentioning that he's a former Gonzaga guard. It is getting out there. It is promoting the program. Gonzaga doesn't need a lot of publicity. They're not some unknown school. This isn't 15 years ago when this would have made much more of a difference, but it is still notable that Gonzaga players succeeding at the NBA is good for recruiting. It's good for the development of their players. It's good for uh, it's good for a team in the with the era of the transfer portal. It's good for their ability to d- identify talent in the portal and say, look what we did with this kid. He came to us after testing out the NBA draft waters, and they didn't want him. And then he came to Gonzaga. He played here for two years. He secured the biggest bag that a second-round pick has ever gotten in NBA history, and now he is putting up 30 points against the Golden State Warriors. You come here, maybe you can go on that same trajectory. That is a recruiting pitch right there, and it is one that will work. So this is big news for Gonzaga that Andrew Nembhard is having this kind of success so far in his collegiate career. Well, the WCC has multiple opportunities to pick up very big victories over ranked opponents this week. Hear how and why to tune into these mass, these matchups Excuse me, after a word from Bet Online, College basketball and the NBA are back in action, and college football and the NFL remain in the thick of their seasons. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all your betting needs and sports information from all the latest odds, contests, and player props, you name it. BetOnline remains the best spot for all the latest sports developments, including podcasts and reviews for all of the leagues this season. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering information needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino games. They even have lines for coaching changes across every major sport, so even in the offseason, you can get your fix. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. Bet online, where the game starts. All right, segment three, Stoney Patton still locked on Zags. Want to talk WCC? It is Wednesday after all, so WCC Wednesday is a part of the routine. We're going to look at a couple games coming up for teams in the West Coast Conference that I think are worth watching, at least paying attention to kind of help shape the framework of what the WCC ends up looking like as we get closer and closer to conference play. First game here, this one is on December 7th. So as many of you are listening to this, it is potentially a part of your evening plan here. It is New Mexico State taking on Santa Clara, New Mexico State four and two on the season. The Broncos are seven and two on the year. This is a fun matchup per Ken Palm. Ken Palm has New Mexico State 100, or excuse me, has Santa Clara 
104th in Ken Palm, New Mexico State is 135th. So Santa Clara is at home playing a team that is a little bit lower than them in the Ken Palm rankings. The Broncos are 4-0 and at home this year under Coach Herb Sendak. I believe the game is going to be on the WTV, so if anybody wants to check that one out, I think it's going to be a fun one. New Mexico State routinely an NCAA tournament team on that 12-13 line. Uh, usually win the WAC. The WAC has become more competitive in recent years, so we'll see if New Mexico State can hold on to that, especially after their coach moved on to Mississippi State. Uh, big story here, Brandon Podzimski, star player for the Broncos, averaging 20.5 points and 10 rebounds per game. What can he do at home against a tournament-caliber team in New Mexico State? The next couple of games are all taking place on Saturday, so since there are no Gonzaga games on Saturday after they play UW on Friday, folks, who want to get their WCC fix, have a whole host of games that they can check out that day. Uh, first up at noon on ESPN Plus is a big one. San Diego State, the Aztecs, 27th in Ken Palm, taking on Randy Bennett and the St. Mary's Gales. They're 6-3 and three on the season and 24th in Ken Palm. So we're talking about two borderline top 25 teams per Ken Palm's rankings, a huge opportunity for St. Mary's to establish dominance over the mountain West, pick off their top team. Uh, again, St. Mary's had a very good game, a good opportunity to beat uh, Houston, the number one ranked team in the country. They did not secure a victory there, but they played very, very well. They have played a very tough non-conference schedule this season. San Diego state is another Great game. They have been struggling a little bit. Matt Bradley hasn't been himself. Darion Tramiel, the transfer from Seattle U, has been good but not elite necessarily. This is a winnable game for St. Mary's. They can slow the pace down, uh, beat San Diego State at their own game. Both teams kind of run a little bit of a slower-paced offense. Uh, this is part of the Jerry Colangelo Classic. It is at the Footprint Center in Phoenix. Uh, it is at noon on Saturday. So uh, first watching of the day for folks. Uh, this is going to be a really, really good one. And then next up, UC Santa Barbara taking on Pepperdine at Firestone Fieldhouse uh, in Malibu, where the waves the waves home stadium. 119 for Santa, or for, excuse me, for Santa Barbara versus 151 for Pepperdine. Those are their Ken Palm rankings. Uh, so Santa Barbara is probably favored here. They are 30 points higher in Ken Palm, but it is a true road game for them, a true home game for the Waves. Uh, a nice test for them. This game's at 5 p.m. on the WTV. Uh, excited to see Maxwell Lewis. Excited to see Houston Millette, what those two young guys can do against a solid, again, tournament caliber team in Santa Barbara. Uh, another good one to be able to check out. Following that one are two back-to-back -back games on Fox Sports 1. That's right. You can watch WCC TV, or excuse me, WCC Hoops on Fox Sports if you would like. The first game, number 21, Creighton Blue Jays taking on the BYU Cougars. This game is at 7 p.m. on Saturday, 21 in Ken Palm for Creighton, 80 in Ken Palm for BYU, so a tough matchup for Mark Pope's squad. Uh, it is at the Michelob, Michelob Ultra Arena in Las Vegas. Chance for BYU to pick up a huge victory. It's been an up-and-down season for the Cougars so far. Losing an Alex Barcelo has been tough. Losing Caleb Lohner has been tough for them as well. They're still kind of trying to find their identity. Gideon George has been good. Fusuni Traore has been good. Uh, still kind of waiting for Rudy Williams to pick up the slack as the team's starting point guard. Uh, Creighton, fantastic club. Ryan Nemhard has been excellent. Andrew Nemhard's younger brother, of course. Uh, Ryan Kalkbrenner, their big man, has been really, really good as well. This is a tough 
dangerous team. They lost to Texas, but only by five. I think this is going to be a good matchup. I'm not super confident about BYU's chances of taking a victory here, but it'll give them kind of a good opportunity to play against a really high-profile team and kind of see where they stack up in that situation. Finally, the last game I wanted to talk about is right afterwards on Fox Sports 1, so you can just keep the remote on that channel after Creighton and BYU finishes up. This is between Utah State, one of the, I believe, 10 undefeated remaining teams in the entire NCAA. They are taking on the Lions of LMU, who are 7-3. and three. game is slated to tip off at 9.30 p.m., on Saturday for those who are going to be staying up late on a Saturday night. And that is your plan of the day. You can check out Utah state LMU 43rd in Ken Palm for the Aggies 125th for the lions. So it's a a bit of a disadvantage for LMU would be a really nice victory for them to spoil Utah state's undefeated season, pick up a win for Stan Johnson. Uh, This game's at the Mandalay Bay in Las Vegas, Utah state recently played San Francisco, which was kind of the hope of like, Hey, can the WCC, beat a Mountain West team, beat a good Mountain West team, end their undefeated season. And frankly, Utah State absolutely waxed San Francisco. I believe they won that one by 18. It was 82 to 64. San Francisco has been very good this season. And so for them to get waxed that badly by Utah State probably says more about Utah State than it necessarily does about San Francisco. Uh, So again, this would be a really nice game for LMU, even to just stay competitive in this one. But I highly recommend checking out the Aggies. They're a fun competitive, talented basketball team uh, and and against LMU. I think that they should secure themselves a victory here, but always fun to see WCC teams potentially step up and take on a significant challenge like this one. All right, that is going to do it for me today. Don't forget to check out the new Locked On College Basketball podcast available wherever you get podcasts, also available on YouTube as well. If you haven't done so yet, go to youtube.com, find Locked On College Basketball and or Locked On Zags and go hit that big red subscribe button. You can do both. It takes about 10 seconds and it is very, very much appreciated by yours truly. Finally, I want to thank all of you for making Locked On College Basketball, excuse me, Locked On Zags, your first listen of the day. For your next listen, check out the Locked On Sports Today podcast, the biggest stories of the day, plus instant reactions, big game recaps, and the take of the day. Available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get podcasts. All right, thank you all for listening, and go Zags.